Hey, you're listening to Cut for Time, a podcast from Faith Church located on the north side of Indianapolis. My name is Claire Kingsley. Each week, I'll sit down with one of our preaching pastors to discuss their Sunday sermon. Cut for Time is a look behind the scenes of sermon preparation, and they'll share with us a few things that we didn't hear from the sermon on Sunday. Thanks for listening. Joey, uh, how many times do you think my kids are going to interrupt us? Uh, oh, I don't know. We could do an over-under on it. <laughs> okay. Um, I say over five. Over five? I am going to say <laughs> three, but I did win the Chick-fil-A guest yesterday, so I know. I'm know. i on a roll. You're hot, yeah. If, if you consider one a roll, I'm on it. <laughs> um, well... We unfortunately won't have a cut from Cut for Time, which would be nice because you won't get a chance to say anything that you may have planned for because we've got a lot of questions today. So, yeah, we got a ton of questions. This is great. Yeah, which is great. So um, nothing. Oh, yeah, there's number one. Number uh, one. Okay. So we're back. Yeah, well, you were saying that, uh, you know, if we were to take an hour, we could kind of walk through the passage, look at every verse, make comments on every verse along the way, all 53 of them. But we have questions from people, and so it would be better to answer the questions than to do a hour-long walk through the passage. Yes, especially because we invite the questions, and you specifically yeah. said on Sunday, and we keep telling people we love questions, and so... We do, and if we went it. for an hour, you would obviously win the how many times are your kids going to interrupt you? Uh, challenge That's so it's true it's in my interest to go as short as possible <laughs> it's in everyone's interest okay <laughs> that's right um well let's jump right, in so, well yeah before we yeah. get started on these questions why don't you go ahead and give us a rundown from your sermon on sunday absolutely yeah so it's a fascinating passage right because it's this huge long speech and it's rehearsing so much of the history of israel you know one thing i didn't say on sunday is that for a guy like Theophilus, the person, the Greek Gentile believer in Jesus that Luke wrote this story to, he may not have actually had access to the Old Testament or the history of Israel. And so, you know, this may be the only written history of Israel that he's really got. Um, So that's yet another function that this speech served in Luke's telling of the early history of the church is, yeah, but okay, where did it come from? What's the story of the people that were expecting the Messiah who came, who turned out to be not just the Messiah for those people, but the Lord of the whole world, right? Jesus. So um, we're looking at this giant long speech. It doesn't make sense to break it up into multiple parts because you're like, hey, here's the story of Abraham and then of Joseph, and then of Moses, and then, you know, the temple, and then, it, so it's like four sermons, but each one, it's like, okay, what's Stephen's point, right? And he just, we just be repeating the same thing four weeks in a row. So yeah. we try to go through the whole thing, bring out the highlight stuff that what Stephen was doing, he's being confronted, falsely accused of teaching the temples out of date, the law is past its usefulness, you know, all things that actually kind of later the church would say, well, yeah, but... You know, it's more nuanced than that. Um, and he's he's basically saying, like, guys, just look at our history. Don't you realize that, A, um, you know, God's presence isn't confined to the temple because he showed up to uh, Abraham long before he was in the promised land. Um, he showed up to Moses in a burning bush, right? 
um, don't you realize the law, the customs that Moses passed down to us? Like there are things we do that predate Moses, like circumcision. We had that since before Moses. So Moses isn't the be all end all. And yeah. I think the primary thing theologically is getting across is like you guys think that the law and the temple are the pinnacle of God's revelation and ultimate absolute value in themselves. Well, no, they point to something else. They point to something bigger. The Messiah is bigger than the law and the temple, not the other way around. So he's making that theological argument from the history, but at the same time, he's making a personal argument to these leaders saying, and you guys seem to be acting just like the leaders of Israel, our fathers have always acted. They always misunderstand what God's doing. They reject yeah. God's messengers. They persecute God's prophets. And you guys are, you're the best at it because you're the ones who not only, you know, you don't, you didn't just reject the law and persecute the prophets. You killed God when he showed up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, is it just me or does it feel like Stephen came on the scene and he's like making a quick exit? I'm like, where'd this guy come from? <laughs> All of a yeah. sudden, like we get to hear about him. We learn very little about him, but he does something really influential. And then boom, he's yeah. next week is going to be the last time we probably mention him in a sermon in a main way. Right. Right. He gets uh, he gets the longest speech in the book of Acts. Uh, yeah. And yet we know the least about him. We know that he's full of the spirit and wisdom. Like that said a couple of times. Um, he shows up when we need people to help serve at the ministry of tables, the ministry of of uh, relief. And then he's doing wonderful things. He's arguing, he's teaching. It's amazing. He gets people riled up. They make false accusations against him. He lays it all on the line and gets killed. <clears throat> yeah. And that's all we really know about him. And, but, I, you know, he does have this pivotal role of being the figure the Jesus movement being primarily a Jerusalem-based movement to the Jewish people, to then becoming a worldwide movement to everyone. This kind of the center of, not the center of power, but the center of activity of the Jesus movement is going to shift now from Jerusalem to Antioch, where Jews and Greeks are both hearing this, Jews and Gentiles, and responding to uh, the news of Jesus as the Messiah and now it's going to spark a theological crisis as the Jewish part of the church has to figure out, wait, how do, how do Gentiles get incorporated into this thing? Like, do they have to become yeah. Jewish in order to become Christian or how does it work? And that's going to, you know, that's going to take us along uh, through the next like eight, nine, 10 chapters until we get to Paul's mission to the Gentiles. Right. And so actually we're about to, we're really close to beginning the third sub-series with yeah, this yep. movement um that we're calling scattering the gospel because we are starting it to now right. see it, it moves geographically but then it moves oh culturally right yes exactly we're going to see the uh the movements move like you said geographically beyond just jerusalem but also now like we've started to see we saw one proselyte come in which is a gentile who has adopted all the ways of judaism now we're going to see proselytes and god fears which are people who uh love respect worship honor israel's god but haven't become like full jews mm -hmm. yeah and then from there even in further sections we're going to see it move just to straight up gentiles who don't adopt um jewish customs all right um well let's dig into questions yeah let's do it and I'm going to quickly fix something over here. So number two, here yeah, we go. Great. Number two. All right. Okay. Here. Put John Mark vertical again.
So yeah, let's jump into questions. All right. So Joey, at this point in Acts, we have um, been told of four mm -hmm. meetings of the council by Luke. Um, so it would seem that all of these probably happened within a short period of time, like one to two years, probably. If so, then is it likely that there would have been some council members that have been present for all four? Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a great question. So the council we're talking about is the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin is a group of Jewish elders and leaders in Jerusalem. Um, the high priest is always sort of like the ex officio leader of the whole thing. Um, and during this whole period, the, um, I think Gamaliel becomes the high priest in like 8030. So we're probably just about up to the period where he becomes high priest because um, he's not mentioned as high priest earlier in Acts. Um, gosh, who is? I'm blanking on the name. Anyway, um, so yeah, so there's some like repeated. Now, normally this group uh, is like there's the core Sanhedrin that's 23 or something like that. Uh, individuals, same people. And then um, there's the bigger group that's 71 when like issues of national significance are being debated or the 23 can't come to a, a conclusion, then the 71 will gather. So probably most of this is like that 23. Um, I think people rotated on and off. I'm not sure how often that was, um, but it's, it's, it's uh, I think it's safe to assume that it's a lot long, longer tenure and consistency um, than kind of we're used to thinking of like two-year terms, four-year terms, for uh, our elected officials, uh, for them, you know, it's it's most of these things were like lifetime appointments. Mm -hmm. Okay, so what implications do you think that would have if these people are hearing this over and over again? Yeah, uh, it's a really good question. Luke kind of presents the this final. Well, this is like the nail in the coffin uh, in term. Well, I guess literally for Stephen. Um, it's the stone to the face uh, yeah. of the Jesus movement in Jerusalem. Um, but yeah, Luke kind of presents the religious leaders by and large as, I don't want to say like unredeemable, but it's like kind of like you could tell from the beginning, they're never going to come around um, to the Jesus movement, to believing that Jesus is actually the Messiah. Because remember, there's messiahs running around all over the place. I think in history we have, in like historical documents, we have something like 50 different named messiahs from the period of Jesus's lifetime. Uh, all these other guys who kept saying, no, I'm the messiah, I'm the messiah. And they're like, no, you're not, right? So here's just yeah. yet another one. So um, implications wise, uh, Probably these guys are pretty well settled against the Jesus movement from the beginning. And I don't think there was much of anything that was going to convince them otherwise. Okay. That actually leads up to my follow-up question from this person, which is the person who texted yeah. this in, which is like, do you think these council members were actually believed that Stephen was offending God? Or do you think that they were just more concerned about like the threat to the political temple positions and they're like just having control? Or are they like so in interconnected? Yeah, maybe we can't separate them. Uh, it I, it's so entwined. Yeah, exactly. It, I think it'd be really difficult to um, pull these two apart. A couple of weeks ago, um, when you know Peter, well, when Peter and John, and actually the whole twelve, uh, were on trial. You know, the one where they were beaten. Uh, at the end of it, it it says that they this the Sanhedrin the leaders were jealous. Uh, um. 
and the Greek word jealous there could be translated either positively or negatively. I think we talked about this a little bit in the sermon. Like negatively, it's like, hey, we're jealous of the influence that the apostles are having on the broader population of Jerusalem. Positively, it's like, hey, we're jealous to defend God's honor and sure. they are blaspheming him. So I, I do think the motivations are mixed. Like, you know, all of us, our motivations tend to be yeah. a little mixed. Uh, you can be doing you can believe you're doing the right thing and also be angry that the people you believe are doing the wrong thing are gaining more influence than you. Mm -hmm. Okay, interruption number three. So all of that John Mark climbing on your lap wasn't, uh, that didn't count? Or is this one long <laughs> Well, I mean, it didn't seem to bother you, so. That? I think we're up to five. That's great. <laughs> Let's see how high we can get. Oh, I'm so sorry, Joey. That's all right. Okay, so... Do you think that um, this event shows us that the Sanhedrin is comfortable with ignoring the like the idea of having or requiring legal ground to kill dissenters? Yeah, it, it's a great question uh, because just you know, however long previously, a year, two years, a few months, whatever it was, um, they just had to jump through all these legal hoops to get Jesus put to death, uh, and yet with. Stephen here, it's they are so outraged, um, so incensed that they immediately drag him out of the city and stone him. Um, so what's going on there? It, it's, yeah, they're kind of bypassing the whole um, the, the whole legal requirement. They're not legally allowed to do this. Um, and yet what he has done is so offensive that I think passion just takes over and they immediately take him out and it's it's i think significant then here that we have in a few verses we're going to see right stephen is stoned and they <clears throat> they laid down their garments at the feet of a man named saul who approved of the execution this is saul who's going to become paul and he later tells us in some of his letters that he was a you know pharisee of the pharisees a zealot uh, is the word he uses for himself and the zealots like their heroes in the old testament were the guys who like, they just, they did what needed to be done. Especially like the zealot, the first guy who's named as a zealot in the Old Testament is Phineas. And Phineas is the one who finds an Israelite guy with I think a Moabite woman. And in the act of the two of them being together, he stabs them both through with a sword because what they are doing, you know, this is against the, the command to not fraternized with um other nations um so like he just takes takes a sword and just right through the both of them right and it's like these guys that this guy is the hero of people like zealots and so mm -hmm. whether paul's instigating what approving means i mean i think we've got saul here looking at it going okay finally we're doing something about this you know um and who cares what the what the romans say and there's also a flip side uh, to it, too, where especially those who are more on the zealous side, the Pharise Pharisee side, like they believe the reason Rome is oppressing Israel is because they're tolerating things like Stephen, things like false messiahs, things like blasphemy and all that. And if they would just obey, um, there was a like a common phrase or a common saying among the Pharisees that if we if everyone in Israel would just obey the Torah for one day. Messiah would come. So also, okay, the, the Romans tell us, you know, we can't execute someone, but it's because we're obeying the Romans that they're actually 
you know, it's because we're not executing or not stoning the people who are being blasphemous that God is judging us by oppressing us through them. Sure. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. All right. So how might Stephen's direct confrontation of these religious leaders shape or not shape our response today when we feel um, that like church pastors or teachers or people in leadership are teaching contrary to God's will or character? Is there anything mm. that we can take from this or um, it, like, is it instructive and like giving direction or is that going too far? Yeah. Um, I would be hesitant to push this story into a, a directive, like giving instruction um, because the, the parallels are tenuous. I think uh, you've got a, theocratic government where the religious and political and economic leadership is all rolled up into one uh, and to this people the promised messiah has come and they've rejected him and so those who recognize know that the messiah has come need to call them on that um i don't know that there's there's not much parallel there with a church where a a pastor is um, being, I don't know, manipulative or spiritually abusive or is using their preaching to try to control people or, or things along those lines. But that's bad for sure and should be confronted. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know, a speech before 20 elders. May, I'm not sure where the, the parallels are there. If the, if the pastor, if that church's leadership is walking away from like orthodoxy uh jesus is yeah you know great teacher uh well he's maybe not um the maybe he's not really god or hey there's all sorts of ways to to come to god you know um or some things along those lines you know you can't really trust scripture it's a human book and it's full of errors and you know it's whatever do your best with it or or stuff along those lines i think that should be confronted and confronted publicly yeah um and I hopefully would not be followed by a stoning, but um, ultimately I think you then end up, you kind of have to say like, this is not right. And then move on um, from that group. There's, there's a lot of bad reasons to leave a church, right? Oh, I don't know. I just don't feel like I really connect or um, eh, the worship doesn't really whatever for me, or oh, I just haven't, made any friends or, or, uh, lots of, lots of reasons that, that people do move around, um, that maybe we shouldn't, but doctrinal fidelity and the character of the leaders, right. Those are, those are reasons, especially after being confronted, those are reasons to leave. If the fruit of the spirit's not there, if qualifications of elders, deacons, pastors, isn't there, if, uh, doctrinal, the fidelity isn't there if the preaching is moralistic like you can do better and uh, god's gonna bless you if you're a good person and uh you know this uh, kind of using scripture is sort of a jumping off point to share all your own ideas then or as helpful stories to illustrate how god bless, blesses people who obey him um then yeah those are good reasons to move on yeah mm-hmm all right, Joey, last question for you. Um, do yeah. you think that there's also an application of um, Luke warning people or Stephen 
um, warning us to not be stiff-necked, to ensure that yeah. we stay aware of our attitudes and head to the Holy Spirit's leading. leading. Yeah, yeah, he, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I think so. Um, you know, stiff-necked, the way it's used is like a Jewish idiom is unwilling to listen to what someone's saying, take it into consideration and think about it. Um, I think, again, there's there's a little bit of a of a dangerous parallel or a flip parallel for us where um, like Stephen's telling them, you are being stiff necked because it's clear throughout our history and the story of what God is going to do that Messiah is going to come. And now these come, you've rejected him. Uh, I think it would be wrong for us to take it and apply it to us saying like, hey, I've thought these same things I've, or I've there's things I've thought my whole life or believed my whole life. And I need to be open to always like always be open to rethinking everything that I've been told uh, along those lines. It's like, well, yes, but also like Christianity is a, like, it's a religion in which revelation is received. Um, there are things that we believe that aren't up for debate. And I say that like with some gravity, because for me, I want to be able to talk about and debate everything, but I don't get to open the question of was Jesus really God or not? Right. Um, and say that either conclusion is still a Christian conclusion because mm -hmm. one of them very obviously is not, um, or is the, is the nature of God, is it Trinity? is God a Trinity, right? That is received truth that must be believed. Um, I still want to talk about it and question and understand, but not go back to scripture and be like, you know, I'm not sure if this whole Trinity thing is the right way to do it. Um, because it's like, I mean, you can do that. You just can't call yourself a Christian anymore. You're outside of what it means to be a Christian. So yeah. um, there are some things we don't, you know, we don't go back to and try to rethink because, um, we're so much you know, smarter now. Um, that's not to say people don't need to come to their own conclusions of agreeing with received doctrine, uh, like the Trinity, the incarnation, redemption, um, some of these huge things that are foundational. Um, definitely have to like wrestle with it and be like, do I believe that's true? Um, but you can't disbelieve it's true and also still call yourself a Christian. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But more to the question that's being asked, yeah, we do need to be open to the Holy Spirit's prompting while recognizing that the Holy Spirit is not going to prompt us in contradiction to truth that has already been delivered yes. to us. Yes, because God cannot contradict himself. And right, right. The, yeah, what was revealed through scripture, through the Holy Spirit is the same Holy Spirit, same God that is working and moving today. Right, right. right. So the spirit may be moving us to say, oh, I should really rethink how I'm engaging this relationship or, or something like that, or what I believe about that person. Um, but the Holy Spirit's never going to prompt you to say, gosh, uh, you should really rethink this whole idea about, um, you know, God being three in one. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I get that. All right, Joey. Yeah. Nice job today. Yes. <laughs> hey, this was fun. I think we were only interrupted six times by kids. So you win. <laughs> um well you are the ultimate over. champion because you had to work through we just it all. kept going <laughs>
yeah, it's not always just like the verbal interrupt, like audio interruption. It's actually just like kids being picked up, snuggled, and put down. Yep, and put down again. Through. Yeah, I just want people to know what you're having to work through. Your yep. working yep. conditions, Joey, they're just not ideal, but you do great. So thank you. There's <laughs> there's people walking around in the background. There's kids running by. John Mark's climbing up and getting down. Yeah, hey, this is great. Thanks for your time Woo. today. Hey. That was fun. I, I love getting questions texted in because then it helps me know, like, helps us know where people's thoughts are going. Um, yeah. That, you know, I was told in seminary, it takes four years to get it and 10 years to get over it because, you you know, once you've got a seminary degree, you come to the a text and you ask all the questions that a seminarian would ask, a seminary prof would ask, and then you give all the answers that seminary profs would give. And mm -hmm. it takes a long time before you realize, you know, the people in your church aren't most of them aren't asking those questions hmm. and wanting those answers. They have other questions they're asking of the text. And so it's really helpful to hear what those questions are. Helps us yeah. kind of tailor like, yeah, oh, th this is helpful to think about. So yes. And if one person has the question, likely many others do as well. And oh, they're right. just yeah. not texting yeah. it in, you know? And sometimes yeah. I don't even know I have the question until I see it come through and I'm like, oh yeah, I would also like to know that. So for sure, yeah. we appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Cut for Time. If you wish to submit questions to our pastors following their sermon, you can email them to podcast at faithliveitout.org or text them into our Faith Church texting number, and we'll do our best to cover it in the week's episode. If this conversation blessed you in any way, we encourage you to share it with others. Thanks for listening. We'll be back again next week.